0: Okay, good morning, Real Life Church here. If you've not met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here, and uh, we're doing something different today, and that is because I can't be with you this morning, COVID. Um, So I'm recording this sermon at home that you're now playing and listening to on a Sunday morning as part of our Sunday uh, meeting. And so we are here at home with the family. We're missing you. Uh, We'd love to be with you, uh, but we can't. So this is kind of the next best thing. So we are today are going to be diving back into our series, uh, Well With My Soul, looking at the life of Elijah. And we've got three weeks left. there will be this week, next week, the week after, and then we will close out this series. Uh, running alongside that, uh, we've been doing the well-being journey in our life groups with our books um, and watching the videos in the life group, discussing, praying, that thing. And we've done uh, the well being mindset, we've done uh, physical well being, emotional well being, uh, spiritual well being, relational well being. This last week we had a catch up week because of uh, the prayer meeting. So if you find yourself a little bit behind, don't worry. Um, there'll be another catch up week later. But this coming week we're back in and we're going into financial well being. So we've almost finished that. We'll round that out about the same time we round out this series. Um, so if you've missed any of that, talk to your life group leader. They can give you the links to the videos. You can catch up with that. As for uh, the sermon series, Well With My Soul, if you've got a Bible, can you go to 1 Kings chapter 21, 1 Kings chapter 21, and we're going to be getting back into the life of Elijah. And so far in the series, we've looked at chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter 19. gone through some of the things that the Lord has used Elijah as his prophet in the land of Israel and we've seen that the land of Israel at the time was in a bad place it had an evil king Ahab and he had a horrible wife uh, called Jezebel who had brought in worship of false gods into Israel the worship of Baal particularly a rain and fertility god and they basically led the people of Israel astray and the Lord had sent Elijah his prophet to proclaim the truth that there was only one God the God of Israel and we followed it through and we've seen the Lord provide for Elijah we've seen the Lord raise the dead and ultimately there was a showdown uh, between Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the God of Israel proved himself way more powerful and there was a moment where the land kind of turned back but even as even though that was happening there was the crushing defeat where Jezebel, when she found out, she put a kind of a, um, a a hit out on Elijah and he ran away and he had a bit of a kind of a, a breakdown, but then he met with the Lord and was strengthened in God. And so that's the first three chapters. If you've missed any of that, please catch up online all the sermons available there you can do that and what we're going to do is we're going to go into chapter 21 this week we've missed out chapter 20 for those who've been following along the reason we've done that is because Elijah doesn't appear in that chapter and as we're focusing on the life of Elijah we're just we're just going to skip over that but let me give you a brief summary of kind of what happens in chapter 20 just so you're kind of aware of where the story is um, Elijah leaves a narrative and it focuses on Ahab the king who has been defeated on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and basically like Uh, seeing that there is only one God because he sends down fire from heaven and does that change him? Unfortunately not, because we find out in chapter 20 uh, we find uh, Ahab's continuing sin against the Lord and we find Israel as a nation is attacked from the north uh, by Syria And they're a powerful nation, and the king of Syria comes to attack Israel, and initially Ahab tries to appease the king of Syria by uh, sending tribute, saying if I pay him off, maybe he'll leave me alone, but unfortunately if you give a bully what he wants, he just wants more. And so the king of Syria comes again, and the Lord sends another prophet, not Elijah, and says actually that Syria will be defeated. And there's a battle. Israel win. Syria are defeated, but they're not completely defeated. And actually says they're going to come back. They do come back again. And the Lord reveals his power by completely destroying uh, the Syrian army and Israel has total victory. And what we find at the end of the chapter, we find a reverse of the beginning of the chapter when it's the king of Syria who is now kind of asking for mercy and Ahab as the king of Israel is the victor and he is the stronger one but what he does is he actually makes a covenant uh, with the king of Syria he makes a covenant with the enemy of God's people with the enemy of God and as a result he incurs God's judgment saying actually you haven't destroyed any you don't make when your enemy is defeated you don't make friends with him you don't invite him in you actually you completely destroy them you you cast down Is an image of how we deal with sin and basically Ahab gives into it so again he's just failing and proving himself not the best king and not great at leading God's people. Which brings us to the beginning of chapter 21, which is where we're going to start today. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to read a little bit and I'll talk about it as we go through and then bring some application um, at the end. So the big idea of today is that the Lord sees everything and will judge sin, but he delights to show mercy to those who repent. The Lord sees everything and will judge sin but delights to show mercy to those who will repent. So uh, we're going to look at the first few verses. um, We're going to look at a crime is committed. Verses 1 to 16 is all about a crime that is committed. And uh, the situation at this point is uh, that Ahab is not a good king. We've seen that, but he's never actually oppressed his own people. Um, He's done some bad things in terms of idolatry and worship. Um, And we've seen uh, in the previous chapter Uh, Ahab's failure against the Gentile king and this one we see his failure towards his own people. And he actually proves himself to be an even worse character than we already thought. We find that he loves Gentiles, uh, the non-Jews, non-people outside God's covenant sort of family. He loves their gods, he despises the God of Israel and even despises the people. He acts like King David before him and he commits murder and tries to cover it up in this situation. So verse 1 says this, it says now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. Jezreel is where Ahab had a palace, we've seen that back in chapter 18 and um, he wants to expand his property portfolio, he's obviously got a palace but he sees that Naboth got a vineyard next to him, he's like I like the look of that, I'm going to have that. I'm going to want that so he decides to do that and the, what the author is trying to tell us first of all is there's a vineyard and a vineyard is an image of Israel when we read our old testament carries over into the new the image of the vineyard represents the people of Israel the people of God and Naboth is a faithful tender of that he clings to the Lord he clings to his gift and he is a good guy in contrast with what we know of Ahab up to this point point. and then it says this it says after this Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. If it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. Okay, on the surface, this seems like not a bad offer. It's basically saying, I'm willing to buy it. I'll give you something better. or I'll just give you the value of the land, of the vineyard itself. Um, But the author uses this word vegetable garden, which is actually only ever used one other time in the Old Testament. And it's used in reference to Egypt, where the people of God were in cave, uh, captivity and slavery. And they, there there was uh, Egypt worshipped false gods, all those kind of things. And so there's a picture being painted where, basically, the author is saying Ahab wants to take Israel back to Egypt he wants to make it like Egypt he wants to make it like a place where false gods are worshipped we've seen this with Baal and he wants to turn Israel into Egypt he wants to drive out the worship of the God of Israel and bring back the Canaanite religion that was in the land of Israel and was been driven out through the um, conquest by Joshua which we looked at when we studied the book of Joshua it says but Naboth said to Ahab verse 3 the Lord said that I should give you. uh, sorry the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. What's he saying here? Well, Ahab's desire is meeting Naboth's integrity. Naboth refuses to sell the land because it's part of his ancestral inheritance. It's a matter for him of honour and the following of God's law to keep hold of it. And his rejection of Ahab's offer is based on Leviticus 25, where he's basically saying, I've been given this inheritance when the land was divided up under Joshua and it's part of my family inheritance and I'm not allowed to give it away. And so Aboth is one refusing the king, which is a big deal when you think he's in charge, he's got the power and everything, and I'm refusing him. But the reason for his refusal is theological in nature. He's basing it on his love for God and his love for God's law and his desire to follow it because he's the faithful tender of the vineyards. So I'm going to honour God in this. And so he's saying, no, I cannot give up this land. This land belongs to my family and it needs to stay in my family. Um, and Ahab is asking for it now we don't know this it doesn't say it so Ahab either doesn't know the law which is not great when you're the king of Israel or he just doesn't care about it and he's going to ask for it anyway either one's not great on, Ahab from, on Ahab's perspective and Ahab is trying to de- de- satisfy an immediate desire I want it I see it while Naboth is a- acting with integrity and honour and righteousness so what happens let's read on verse 4 it says, And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father's. And he lay down his bed and he turned away his face and would eat no food. Ahab responded to Naboth's honour like a spoilt child. He had an immature tantrum. He, he couldn't bear to be told no. He said, No, you can't have this. Sorry. And as a result he is driven to despair he goes to his bed he lies on it he, it doesn't say he sucked his thumb but you can imagine that being part of it and this is think about it, this is shocking behavior from the king uh, of god's people the leader of god's people the one appointed uh, to take them into the worship of god and the teaching of his law all those kind of things he is responsible and he is acting like this okay and then what's it say verse five it says but jezebel Uh Uh-oh, because we we know stuff about Jezebel, not great. So Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Okay, what's going to happen here? So Israel's kings are meant to represent God uh, to the people and to show mercy and kindness. And Jezebel, as the wife of the king, shows the complete opposite in this situation. Uh, She doesn't care about God's law. She doesn't care about um, doing the right thing. She just sees her husband in a mood and she's trying uh, to fix it. And she recognises that Naboth's not the king. What authority does Naboth have? You're the king, Ahab. I'm going to sort this out. So she takes matters into her own hands and deals with the situation. She will show her husband how kings should act, how kings should treat their people. And unfortunately, she can't do this by legitimate means. So she's going to have to resort to illegitimate means. So a scheme is attached. Verse 8, it says, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who live with Naboth in his city. So Jezebel is now assuming the role of the king. She is usurping uh, his authority in his power. He takes his seal, which would have been a ring, that would have been a seal on it, and put it on the letter to mark this is from the king. And she's taking authorities, not, not hers, same same actions of the devil. So she's not in good company. And she writes a letter to the leaders of the city where Naboth lives. And this is, again, reminiscent of David when he committed adultery and murder with Bathsheba and killed her husband Uriah. This is what David did, he wrote letters. He wrote, he wanted something, couldn't wait, he wrote letters. And it says in verse 9, and she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders, and the leaders who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a farce and set Naboth at the head of the people, and the two worthless men came in. And sat opposite him, and the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So she is orchestrating a plot to murder righteous Naboth. Jezebel has prose- pr- prosecuted the prophets of the Lord. We've seen that, and shall now she's going after a faithful, humble Israelite. And this plot doesn't just involve her, it involves others of poor characters, um, worthless men, but it also involves the elders and leaders of the city. So there are others who are complicit, in them. this is a conspiracy. We don't know why they did it. The worthless men obviously had a bad immorals. The Others might have been fearful for their own life, but either way, they were willing to be part of a murder plot um, to take out someone who was completely innocent. And what we find in this is that Israel as a nation is rotten to, uh, from, to the core, from the top to the bottom, from the king and the queen at the top all the way down to the leaders, these elders in the city, to these worthless men it's rotten all the way through and they stand in contrast to, Aboth, uh, to Naboth Naboth said no, you're not going to have what's not yours unlike all these individuals said yes, we're going to be part of this and Naboth is accused of a blasphemy and treason he's accused of blaspheming God and, and plotting against the king and the men uh, follow these commands and they have um, Naboth stoned and he is murdered. And the irony in this is actually that Naboth is accused of breaking commandments by someone who's also breaking the commandments. They're bearing false witness. And so they're accusing him of something falsely and then they accuse him of breaking commandments and he is killed for his crime, but they seem to get away scot free. It goes back on. It says, so they took him outside the city, stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned. He's dead. So an innocent man is stoned to death. Uh, All this happens while Jezebel has been using the king's seal. And Ahab throughout this has been completely passive. He hasn't been involved. He's done nothing to stop his wife. He's done nothing to speak up and say, what are you doing? You can't do that. You don't have the authority to do that. We're murdering someone who's done nothing wrong. He doesn't even express any kind of disapproval. So he is just as guilty as his wife plots murder. And it says in verse 15, it says, As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. And Naboth is not alive, but he is dead. And as soon as Naboth heard that, uh, sorry, as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose, to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. So Naboth's dead, he's out of the picture. Ahab then takes over the vineyard that he wanted in the first place on the orders of his wife. So he is now, not only has he usurped his authority to her to sort the, the, um, the situation out, he's now following her orders. You go do this, you go do that, and he's the king. And so he's completely given up on his position and his authority. And from a human perspective, He's got everything he wanted. He wanted the vineyards, got it. Uh, The plot has gone off without a hitch. Naboth is out the scene. He's dead. And the case is closed. No one knows anything. No one, uh, there's no charges being brought. No one crying out saying, actually, you know, there's something, something funny going on here. Not a thing. And from Ahab's perspective, his hands are clean. I didn't do anything. I was in the palace. I was over here. You know, nothing happened that I was involved in. But the reality is we know the Lord sees everything. The Lord sees everything. And despite Ahab being passive, he is responsible. Think back to Genesis in the garden when uh, the serpent tempted Adam and Eve. Both of them ate. We see Eve at first and then gave it to her husband. But who did the Lord come to and deal with? He came to deal with Adam. He came to You're responsible. What have you done about this? And so... We find even in this that uh, Ahab is responsible for what's going on and he is one of the rulers of the land and he is guilty of murder, theft and oppression of his people. These are serious sins and so we've seen the crime. Let's see the next few verses, the Lord's response. Verses 17 to 26, what is the Lord's response to this? It says verse 17, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Now, this is really similar. We've seen this several times in the story of Elijah. So in uh, 1 Kings 17, uh, twice, verse 1, verse 8, we saw at the beginning of 1 Kings 18, and also a few verses into 1 Kings 19. So the Lord speaks, something's going to happen. Elijah is moved into action because God is speaking to him, and Elijah hears the word of the Lord and obeys. And it says in verse 18, it says, Arise, go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth, where he's gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? Um, and you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood. The Lord reveals to Elijah what's happened. Elijah wasn't there. Elijah hadn't seen, but the Lord had. And he reveals it to one of his servants, the prophet. And so Lord then goes to Elijah to reveal that. And we might think that the Lord doesn't see everything, things we do in secret, but actually the Lord sees everything. He sees our actions in public. He sees our actions in secret. He sees the attitudes of our hearts. And the Lord has instructed his prophet here to expose the sin and pronounce judgment on Ahab for what he's done. And it's a really kind of powerful word from um, Elijah saying, the place where the dog took up the blood of Naboth, because he would have been stoned, let out that horrific thing that's going to happen to him is going to happen to you Ahab for what you have done and Ahab said to Elijah it says in verse 20 you have found me oh my enemy so rather than repenting which interestingly contrasts him to David when David did these evil acts when he was exposed he repented ah, Ahab has refused to do that he actually accuses Elijah of being the enemy Elijah just comes and brings the word of the Lord this is what the word of the Lord said and he immediately says well actually you're now my enemy rather than actually looking at what God's saying and repenting and turning back for him. He totally kind of misunderstands the role of the prophet and he just, he's almost like he's got this self-absorbed view that actually you're just picking on me and well, actually no God is trying to expose something so he can deal with it. The, the, word, uh, the prophets speak the word of the world, they don't pick on people. Uh, and the word of God isn't like that and so he comes up but he doesn't get it he's so lost in his sin so far from God and he says um, he answered, 'I I found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord the lord has instructed uh, elijah to expose ahab's sins pronounce judgment on it on him ahab has got nowhere to hide because the lord sees everything exposed his heart and just like pharaoh before him who killed the innocents of israel ahab has done the same and he will be judged as a result and this is uh, actually elijah's most kind of severe prophecy yet and despite all the things that ahab has done god has continually showed him mercy and how I say, actually, come on, you cross the line. You're going to face the judgment of God um, for your sin. It says in verse 21, Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. For the anger to which you provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin, and of Jezebel, the Lord said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven will eat. Because of Ahab's ongoing evil, the Lord is pronouncing judgment, just not on Ahab, but on his whole family line, his whole dynasty, and it is spelled out in a rather graphic way. Because of Ahab's sin, his dynasty, his royal line, will be wiped out like those before him. It mentions Jeroboam, who was a previous king of Israel and we said all the kings of Israel and northern kingdoms were bad kings Jeroboam was the first and he was bad he started the idolatry in the northern kingdom and as a result his family line was wiped out Basha the son of Ahijah was another king um, and his family line again was wiped out king of Israel's and so we've seen them in previous chapters uh, in one kings and so God is saying what happened to them is going to what's happened to you and he also said it's not just you and your line your wife but what she's done she is also going to face judgment and her one actually is going to be worse because it says uh, that the dogs will eat um, Jezebel which means she's not going to ha- even have the honor of some kind of burial because the animals are going to eat her bones and her body will just be scattered and so she's not even going to have the honor of a kind of a burial where people can kind of put you in a tomb and there's some sort of honor in that in death it's that like, no she's getting nothing she's facing judgment for her continued evil towards um, the people of God and it goes on it says verse 25 is like a summary verse it says there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the lord like ahab whom jezebel his wife incited he acted very abominably in going after idols as the amorites had done whom the lord cast out before the people of israel and so what we kind of have there is a summary statement which repeats what we want the of the first verses we read in this series which were back in right at the end of 1 Kings 16 which basically said Uh, Ahab was the worst king of Israel that they'd had up to that point. They said the ones before were bad, but uh, Ahab was like the worst. And what the authors inserted here is almost like a, yeah, I told you. I told you he was bad. I told you it was going to be bad. I'm now kind of proving it by just recounting the story of his life, and particularly this incident with Naboth and how he's murdered uh, an innocent and uh, the whole kind of plan and his involvement in that. And he's now proving his point that... ahab is just bad he said i did warn you and this is what's going to happen and now with all that in mind is my wife read these notes just before i came to recall this and she just said it's not a happy story is it it's not much fun what's going on it's like no it's not but let's come to the end of the story and find out that the tone changes somewhat here because we've had the crime which we've looked at we've had the lord's response to it to send his prophet to pronounce judgment for sin In the life of Ahab. And now we've got Ahab's response. Which is the final couple of verses of the chapter. Let's read what it says there. It says verse 27. It says. And then uh, when Ahab heard these words. Those were the words of judgment. He tore his clothes. And he put on sackcloth. On his flesh. And fasted. And lay in sackcloth. And went about dejectively. Now this is totally out of character for Ahab. He is humbling himself. Those things of of tearing clothes and putting on sackcloths are images of contrition and repentance and humbling himself before God and if you just notice the irony of the story what happened at the beginning of the story when Ahab uh, was told no you can't have the vineyard he basically went to bed and wouldn't eat in a bit of a strop. He's doing a similar thing now but his motivation is totally different. His motivation is telling he's not eating, not fasting. He is downcast, but not in despair because I can't get what I want. He's downcast before a holy, righteous God who has pronounced right judgment over his evil actions. And he's fasting, not out of like, I can't eat because I'm so stroppy about something that's happened. I'm actually uh, not eating because I'm realizing the depth of my sin. He's wearing the sackcloth with that sign of, of mourning over how bad he has been. And he's laying there dejectedly as the result of the judgment of God that has come upon him. And his actions are suddenly coming home to roost. He is actually repentant of his his sin. I read one commentator said, uh, penitence has overwhelmed his petulance. No longer a petulant child, but he is penitent before a holy and mighty God. This change of heart is manifested in outward actions in Ahab's life. He recognizes his sin and the consequences of it and then we go on to verse 28 it says this and the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite there's that phrase again saying have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me because he has humbled himself before me I will not bring disaster in his days but in his son's days I will bring the disaster upon his house Verse 28 is just um, a repetition of the verse 17 we've seen before, the word of the Lord. So God is speaking into the situation and he is responding to Ahab's humility. He is responding to Ahab's repentance and the Lord forgives Ahab and postpones the judgment on his family. This is a demonstration of the overwhelming grace and mercy of God. He's been showing it all the way through the story. In fact, of all the actions uh, Ahab's been doing all the things he's done he's been giving him chance to come to repentance and now when actually Ahab is showing repentance God is showing incredible grace and mercy despite Ahab's obvious sin the grace of God is bigger and greater Ahab has actually been given another chance the heart of God was always to change the heart of the king God isn't there just to pound he wants to turn their hearts in worship and repentance toward him yet at the same time Naboth's blood will not go unavenged The judgment of God will be poured out, but it will actually be delayed and go over to uh, Ahab's son, which we'll look at next week. It's not a cancellation of a sentence. So to sum up what um, we've seen today, the story of Naboth and the vineyard and what's happened there is a picture of Israel. Israel as a nation is rotten to the core from top to bottom. Uh, People who are willing to get involved in murder plots. But in there, in the nation there is a remnant, a faithful remnant And we've seen Elijah the prophet of the Lord but now we've got Naboth as a faithful member of the Israelite family, the community there and he's a faithful persecuted remnant. And even Naboth's name actually is a pun for the word prophet. So we have Elijah who is the prophet but even Naboth, his name is a pun on that word and he is speaking prophetically to the nation saying this is what it's like. The faithful remnant are persecuted but actually a time will come when God will pour out judgment on those who bring persecution against his people. It will not go on and on forever. Those who sin will face judgment. Yet those who repent will show, be shown mercy. So there's a story of Naboth. What can we learn from this this morning? What can we learn from us today? The Three things. I think it's three. I always get laughed at when I've got three things. Well, actually, technically, I've got four today. So Ben, stop laughing. I've got four things today. Uh, First one, what can we learn? First one is we can acknowledge that we are all guilty. We can acknowledge that we are all guilty. Just like Ahab, we are all guilty and deserving of punishment. Romans 3.23 says that for all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is simply a word uh, for falling short of God's holy perfect standards we do this by our actions we do this by the things that we do and we do this by the things that we don't do that we should do we do this in our attitudes and our thoughts we think bad thoughts about people and things and we don't think good thoughts that honor God and both of those things condemn us we true this we fall short by trying to make ourselves acceptable to God by our good works uh, or religious activities. And we try and, make, we try and earn our sort of way into God's good books. Say, I'm okay because I'm doing X, Y, and Z. We fail in the public areas of our lives when we get things wrong in front of people. But we also fail in the private areas of our lives that we think no one else sees and no one else knows about. We can't even live up to our own standards let alone god's perfect ones as we stand before a holy righteous and perfect judge we find ourselves declared guilty we have absolutely no defense and as a result of that guilt we must be punished we all know intuitively for that wrong must be punished because we see it all the time around us when we hear of things going on on the news the latest MP scandal we just think that's not right that needs to be corrected someone needs to be punished something needs to be changed there and actually we know that we just don't like it when it's about us and we're the guilty ones so the first thing we need to do is we need to acknowledge that we are all guilty when we look at God perfect righteous holy standards we all fall short and it might think oh, I only fall short a little bit compared to others falling short's falling short not being perfect means not being perfect. No matter how many degrees you think you are, in that we all fall short of that standard. So we all need to acknowledge that we are guilty. Secondly, we must accept that sin must be paid for. We must accept that sin must be prayed for. Sin must be punished. Uh, when we do wrong, a debt is accrued. We actually have that in our Bible. It talks about debts. Uh, even in the Lord's Prayer, we looked at that debt. Sin is a debt, and. A perfect, righteous, holy God cannot overlook evil. If he did that, he wouldn't be perfect, righteous and holy. He must punish it. And the problem is our debt against God, our crimes against the holy God uh, must be paid for. But the only way they can be paid for is by a perfect, holy sacrifice. And the only person who can pay it is God himself on behalf of man. We're guilty. We have accrued this debt We've done these things, it must be paid for. But the only way you pay for that is with a perfect, holy sacrifice. And the only person who can do that is God himself. And so God came to earth in the form of a man, Jesus. Jesus was like us, he was fully human, but he was also unlike us because he was fully God, fully holy, fully perfect, fully righteous. He was without sin, he was blameless. Yet despite this, he died willingly, In our place and took the punishments we deserved. And his sacrifice was vindicated when he rose bodily from death. And on the third day he rose again and then he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father in glory and will one day come back to judge all mankind. Having paid that debt, anyone who calls on him for forgiveness can receive it. And we all need that. We all need that debt to be paid. We all need that debt to be forgiven. And the only way we can do it is by coming to Jesus and looking at him and asking for him and so we have to accept so acknowledge that we're guilty accept that sin must be paid for and thirdly we need to approach God in repentance and faith so how do we respond if we're guilty and we know that the guilt needs to be dealt with the debt needs to be paid how are we going to respond to that we know Jesus has done it he's offering it to us what do we do but well, we need to confess. We need to acknowledge this before God. We need to acknowledge our sins. We need to own it ourselves. We need say, actually, yes, we are guilty. Yes, we have failed. Yes, we have done these things. We can be specific about what those things are. We can also then be general and say, there's so many other things, I can't name them all. But we're all guilty before a holy God. We are to repent, which just means to turn around. It means to go the other way, to recognize we've gone this way, living our own life, living our own way. We want to turn around and go towards God. And then we're to put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We're to rely on Jesus' death uh, totally for forgiveness and being put right with God. There's nothing we can add, nothing we can bring to this. uh, Only when we come to him and put our faith and trust in him do we get to be declared not guilty. We're to trust that we've been adopted into his family and know God as our father uh, and have a a father in heaven who loves us and is for us and wants to know us. We are to be empowered by his spirit to live a life of godliness here on earth. This is not something uh, that we seek to do to earn uh, his love or forgiveness. It's something we do because we've received it and out of that we we live a life of holiness here. We look look to look to the future knowing that one day we'll be with him forever in a world where there's no more crying or no more suffering or no more tears. And so if you're listening to this today this morning um and uh you're not a believer here you're not a christian you need to become a christian you need to acknowledge your sin before god you need to confess it to him you need to accept that the only way to get right through god is through jesus death resurrection his sacrifice in your place and you need to approach him in repentance and faith and to call out for him for mercy and put your trust in him receive forgiveness become part of his family hear that declaration of not guilty before him If you are a Christian here today, what does it mean to you? Well, first of all, you need to go back and acknowledge again that you have failed and you've fallen short of his glory. Are you still trying to clean yourself up to somehow make yourself acceptable? You can't do that. Jesus has done it for you. You need to live on his righteousness and his his holiness that he has given to us. Stop trying to clean yourself up. You need to accept that the only way to be right through God is through Jesus. So you bring your sin to him. You get it dealt with in him. You confess and you cry out to him. You're to approach God as your father who loves you to receive forgiveness, to receive acceptance, to receive empowering, to be reminded that you are holy and righteous in Christ, that you are a saint, that you are his beloved child. And out of that, we live our lives where we seek to honour God. We seek to live righteously in a crooked and depraved generation. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning if you know that you need to get right with God there's things you need to do there's going to be an opportunity later uh, for someone to pray with you and to respond to that Uh, but as I end now um, I'm just going to bring us back to Jesus because finally fourth thing Jesus is a better Naboth and a better Elijah he's a better Naboth because he was someone who was perfect and righteous, holy and blameless. He was a man who honoured God in all he said and did. He too was falsely accused uh, for blasphemy and treason. The same two accusations again came against neighbor. He was taken outside the city and murdered by his enemies. Yet his death brought life and freedom and forgiveness to all who had wanted. Jesus is a better neighbor. Jesus is also a better Elijah. He was a man sent by God who came and fiercely and Shamelessly proclaimed the word of God to an evil generation. He called men and women to repentance and faith and into relationship with God the Father. He spoke words of judgment on those who would not repent, but internal hope to those who would. And he offered the grace and mercy and God of God to anyone who wanted it. And so maybe the band could come up now. I'm just going to pray sort of to finish our time together then i'm going to hand back over to them and they're going to lead you in a time of worship as we sort of end our morning together so maybe you just want to close your eyes while i get themselves ready and then i'm going to pray lord jesus we want to thank you that you are god over everything lord we want to thank you that you see everything We want to thank you that you know everything. Nothing is hidden from you. Nothing can be hidden from you. Every evil, every sin, everything committed will one day be completely exposed, Lord God. And we thank you that you will judge sin, that you will judge wrong, and those who committed crimes will be brought to justice, Lord. But we thank you for your mercy, which triumphs over justice, Lord, for those who call out to you, Those who cry to you will receive forgiveness, will receive mercy, something we don't deserve, something we could not have earned because you have paid it yourself. You have taken that upon yourself, Lord, and we praise you for that. We praise you for your sacrifice. We praise you for your mercy. And we stand and say we love you. We thank you that we've been forgiven. We thank you that we can stand before you holy and righteous. And we just lift up our hands and we lift up our hearts in worship to you this morning. And God's people said... Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Um, Hope to see you real soon. Love you. Over to the band.